knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This is the end, beautiful prayer. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safety or surprise, the end, I'll never look into your Welcome to the North American Waterfowler, and it is certainly the end, the end of another one. Duck hunting season is now closed everywhere. There are a few hunting opportunities left with some dark geese, snow goose hunting, but for some of us guys who are just duck guys, this is the end of another one. And we go into the off season where I've already had people messaging me how many days, hours, and minutes until opening day. So how are you feeling today knowing that another one's closed? Reflecting back on how your season went, how my season went, thinking about it. And how do you react to the end of the season? Some people fall into depression. Some people feel a sense of relief. So how do you deal with it? We're going to be talking about this over on patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And we're going to be having this discussion and more. So you might think about joining us there. Myself personally, February has traditionally been a time of depression as the waterfowl season ends. But as I get older, I'm, Going to be turning 50 this May. The last few years, it's it's a little bit different. Um, I have talked about being an OCD duck hunter. Some of us guys that are so eaten up with waterfowl hunting that you just can't stop thinking about it. And it gets in your way. It's bothersome. For some of us, for myself, it can be a sense of relief. It's like a little kid that won't stop eating candy. And your mom has to finally come in and take your candy bag away after Halloween. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I, if waterfowl season was open, if duck hunting season was open, I'd be out there right now. I'm recording this at Saturday at about 11 o'clock. I'd be out there doing it. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's a little sense of relief where I can just get some rest. Um, those of us that work regular nine to five jobs and only have the weekends to hunt, those weekends stack up and the lack of sleep starts catching up depending on how early you get up. I mean, we get up on Saturdays anywhere between one thirty and four o'clock. And as much as I would like to be caught up on sleep, it starts wearing down. It starts, get, it starts wearing down on you. And so with the lack of sleep, the mental obsession of just thinking about it constantly. I do honest to God feel a little bit sense of relief sometimes when it's over where I can just kind of like, Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe now I don't have to think about it every second. <laughs> Maybe I can get some mental space. Maybe I can get some stuff done around the house. So how are you feeling? I talked to Jake from chasing green about it. And he definitely goes into depression. And it's different for the two, for he and I, and we talked about this. So for him, the end of waterfowl season means the beginning of work season. So he's not only losing waterfowl season, he's moving into his work season. He's a seasonal worker. He has it set up perfectly so he doesn't have to work during duck season. He can hunt as much as he wants, but then off season he has to just work only. So for him, that transition is... Losing the thing that he loves to do and having to do the task that he doesn't really want to do. But for me, it's different. When I go into spring and into summer, I'm off all summer. So I'm going into a time of looking forward to time off in March. I've got two weeks off in March. I'm off like 75 days straight in the summer. And that is a wonderful time for me. It's the HRC season. It's duck dog training season for me, which I love more than I ever thought that I would have loved. I really do. And so for me, the transition is into a great time, really. And then as my summer comes to a close and I've got to go back to work, my waterfowl season begins. So I start my work with, yes, I've got to go back to work and I've got to do that. But with that comes dove season, teal season. And so I don't know. I've thought about this. I don't know that I would change that. I don't know that I would because it's like it makes going into that work cycle a different mindset for me. And it works. Now, eventually, I hope to be able to go full-time. And I hope that I can hunt things the way that I want to hunt them because those of us that are the weekend warriors, we're handicapped. No doubt we're handicapped. We can't scout as much. Sometimes we just got to go. We have to have a good calling tree, a network of people to find out what the birds are doing. And we've got to try to find a way to get it done on the weekend with no actual scouting involved. It's a difficult task. It's a difficult task. 
But even with everything, the end of a season certainly brings reflection, some sadness. But we're going to bounce right into the off-season tasks. And I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. We're going to take a quick break and be right back here on the North American Waterfowler. The end of laughter and soft life. The end of nights we tried to die. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So thank you for hanging with me. Thank you for being here on these podcast episodes. This is episode number nine. And about half of these episodes, a little more than half of these episodes, I've released publicly. And the rest of them are housed over at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And if you want to interact with me and the guys over there, go on over, give it a sign up. Lots of different tiers as you help support me and what I'm doing. And I can give you extra stuff. So over there, you can get a freelance hunt stats account, which will soon be turned into the North American waterfowler app. I'm changing the name. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram at Freelance Duck Hunting, but I gave a little teaser to what the new logo is going to look like. Completely overhauling everything. It's going to have a way more professional feel and look. And you get that at Patreon. Also, you can watch these recordings. A lot of them I record live and I offer them up to all the gang over there at Patreon, you can watch it, chat with people, and actually watch a video feed of me doing these podcasts. Um, you get entered into the hunt giveaway, which I'm going to do it again. We're going to do the hunt giveaway again. It may be structured a little differently. I'm not sure. But every single month, you earn more entries to the hunt giveaway. Season three of that. And just extra, extra content over there. Just all sorts of stuff. So if you want to help support what I'm doing, get extra content, get all of the podcasts of the North American Waterfowler, go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting to get in on that. I'm going to start a new segment. I'm excited about it right now. It's called Comment of the Week. I was thinking my buddy Tim Cochran, who I'm going to have on here in a week or two, and he just cranks out the craziest content. <laughs> he makes a lot of, produces a lot of songs about duck hunting. And I'm going to have him on here. We're going to listen to some of his songs. We're going to talk about them. I was thinking about asking Tim to come up with a little jingle for comment of the week. I don't know. <laughs> some a little jingle as we transition into comment of the week. Because I want to do this. I want to do comment of the week 
where I'm looking through my YouTube videos. If you don't know, I've got a YouTube channel, Freelance Duck Hunting. This is the end of season number eight of Freelance Duck Hunting. End of season number eight. This is also Josh from Outdoor Limits season number eight ending. Other than he and I, I think The Grind is the only YouTube channel that's been going, Waterfowl YouTube channel that's been going longer than eight seasons. And The Grind is more of a professional thing. It's not really a regular guy vlogger. So I think Josh and I uh, have the longest running YouTube channels. So I take pride in that. I think that's awesome. For Waterfowl hunting. For Waterfowl. So anyway, uh, I put out videos. Make sure you subscribe to it. But I thought I would come up with a comment of the week. Comment of the week. Where we just kind of talk about what someone said. And I'll just kind of give my reaction to it. So I've got three here. I'm going to go over one today. Which one do I want? Oh, man. Which one do I want to do? All right. Let's go into Steve Schimmel. C-H-I-M-I-E-L. Schimmel. Schimmel. So he was watching a video that I put out, one of my more recent videos, and we were layout boat hunting, and here's what he said. He said, ducks bombing in all hunt, one slow period, and you hear, pull the mojo. Always blows my mind how much guys will mess with mojos and spreads as if the last 20 groups that gave it up with the mojo on didn't tell you all you needed to know. But I love you, though, Elliot. <laughs> Thank you for the comments, Steve. Pulling the mojo. Wow. You know, gosh, it is interesting how people get so emotionally tied in to their belief system around spinners. Some guys will never pull them from the spread and they want more and more and more. And they think that guys that, uh, it's my perception now. They think that guys that pull mo that don't use mojos are elitists. And I will say there's a little bit of an air of guys that I've talked to that are like, no spinners, no spinners. No. They feel a little bit like... I'm trying to say this carefully. Sometimes I get the feel that it's turning into a little bit of an elitist thing, like real duck hunters... Don't use spinners in January. Only noobs use spinners in January. That's kind of how it feels. Now, if you don't use spinners in January, it's okay. I, I have no problem with that. I'm more of a spinner guy. And I'll tell you why. I'm more of a spinner guy because every time I pull the spinner, almost every time I pull the spinner, I see no positive result. I have pulled the spinner. I've talked about this in my videos. I pulled the spinner probably 60 hunts at this point. And only a couple of them have I seen a positive result. If it were true that spinners are detrimental in January in this state, then I would assume that mid-hunt, if it's not going on, I pulled the spinners, I would see a positive result. And I do not. I just do not. So those of you, and I hope that I have not pissed off the anti-spinner guys, because I'm just saying, have you really recorded your data on it? I haven't say I've recorded my data, but I have kept track. And it's about somewhere between 45, in my head, somewhere between 45 and 60 times that I've tried to pull the spinner 
and I have only felt as though it helped a couple of the times. And when it helped those couple of the times, it was absolutely not drastic. It was, hmm, that kind of seemed to help. So where are you getting your diet in the wool opinion that spinners in January are harmful? Where is that opinion coming from? Is it coming from a place because you hear everyone else saying it? I.e. geese won't finish on spinners. Because on the river, I'm telling you, they will finish on spinners. I have watched them finish on spinners on the river. So is that where you're getting that idea? Is it just because people are saying it? Is it because you don't use spinners in September and you have success without them? So you're like, oh man, this is great. You don't need them. Or have you actually had a sampling pool where you're like, oh my gosh, this half of the hunt, we used a spinner. It sucked. This half of the hunt, we didn't. It was great. Really think about that. Maybe you've really kept track of it. Maybe you have. Maybe you're like, all right, I'm keeping these notes and on these hunts, or maybe even just like myself, you're mixing it up mid hunt and it's kind of subjective, subjective data. Cause I will say this about myself, honest to God truth. When I pull them, if it doesn't make an immediate, like in 15 minutes, if it hasn't got better, I put it back out. So that now my sampling size, because I can tell you in my head, I think spinners are better than not spinners. That's my preconceived notion about it. So that's a bias. I'm biased on it. So if I, if I go a five hour hunt and four hours and 45 minutes, I'm using a spinner and 15 minutes. I'm not. And counting that as one of my data samples, that is not, not good scientific data. So I'm admitting to you, I'm biased on this. I'm biased on it. And so maybe I'm wrong, but at least I am trying to keep a semblance of a record on it. So why do you truly believe that spinners suck in late season? Where are you coming up with that opinion idea? I want you just to think about that. And you have an answer to it. You can reach out to me on Patreon. You can reach out to me on Instagram. You can email me. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, if you have a great sampling of this and you're like, hey, this is my data or even this is my observational data. This is how I came to the conclusion of spinners are no good in January. And you and I talk and I feel like you can really put it out there and try to convince me of it. I'll have you on here. We can talk about it right here. Oh, and I forgot about Patreon. Once a month, I have a, pay, uh, a podcast with a patron on there. A patron on there. I pick one, they come on and talk. That's another perk of it. But so if you're like, listen, Elliot, here's how I know. What I don't want to hear is just kind of seems like. I feel like. I want you to be able to put together a well thought out reason as to why you can convince me that I shouldn't be using spinners as much as I do. And we don't use a ton of spinners, one or two. We don't use a ton of spinners. 
I would absolutely love, 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 love to not use spinners. I don't have to pay for them. I don't want to see them. I don't have to worry about it. I don't want other hunters to be able to see the flicker from that far away. I don't want to use them. I love to give them away. I was resistant to them. I missed out on the glory years. The first two years of spinners were what I'm told. I know this because I was forced to get a spinner. I was forced to get a spinner because I couldn't shoot any ducks anymore without without them. Well, that's a, overstating it. I, I was on a specific hunt where I flushed all these ducks. I knew I was going to get it done. Set up there and the ducks kept going six, uh, well, 150 yards to the next group with the spinner. And at that moment, I had seen enough. And I'm like, I can't compete with spinners on public land. It was that obvious. The first two years were the glory years of the spinner. I missed them. Because I didn't want to use the spinner. I didn't want to mess with it. I didn't want to pay for it. I, I didn't want things to start going in a digital direction or an electronic direction, I should say, with waterfowl hunting. And if I had this podcast, I probably would have been talking some trash on them those first two years because I didn't want it to be a part of the sport. Year one and year two, when spinners were introduced, ducks were, every duck was like a year old. Well, it's like a yearling. And I missed out on those two years because I didn't want to do it. So if you think you can convince me of it, by all means, reach out to me. I will have one person come on the podcast with me and lay it out for me. Elliot, here's why I know at least late season spinners are not, not successful. And you know one thing I don't understand? I don't can't get a grasp of this. People say, well, at least where I live... Spinners don't work in January or spinners do work in January. Why would geography location make a difference as to whether a spinner worked? Why would that be a factor? I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, why is it not? Or why is it a factor? I don't know. If a duck is in... Missouri or Arkansas instead of Kansas, why does a spinner react different to them? I know you can't use them on public in Arkansas. I'm just saying different location. I don't get that. So I was saying that sometimes it kind of feels like that guys who don't use spinners, like I'll never use one in late season, view guys that do. On the opposite side, um, guys that are dyed in the wool on the spinner, Um, may view guys that do as that kind of elitist thing inappropriately, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. So that was the comment of the week. Insert Tim Cochran jingle right here. Comment of the week. Um, I'm poking at him because I know if I mess with him, he'll come up with one. (laughs) So spinners, yeah. I do like them. I do think they're successful. I do think they're successful. So I want to get into the main portion of the podcast that I wanted to discuss, which is off season to do lists, off season to do lists. All of us have them, whether it's new gear we want to buy, 
just new things we want to do. And I've made mine. I've made a four-point to-do list. Oh, five. Five, five, five. Five-point to-do list. And again, if you want to talk, share your list with me and with us, come on over to patreon.com slash freelance. That's where the conversation is going to be. So every year at the end of the season, it's like, okay, what upgrades do I need to make? What changes do I need to make? What do I need to do differently to be ready for next season? So here are the things that I'm thinking about from now to next season. Number one is my shed, my duck shed. Uh, I've got some pictures of it on Instagram if you dig through my stuff. It's wonderful. It's got a nice size. It's wonderful. But, you know, I, I get we've got two riding lawnmowers. We've got an 18-foot boat. By the time we get all that stuff in there, it starts feeling a little cramped. And when season starts, still, even with all that stuff in there, it looks great. It looks amazing. It's all clean. It's all organized. And as season runs along, gosh, it just makes me feel like crap about myself. I want so much to be one of those guys. I want so much that you walk into their duck shed, their duck cave, their whatever. You're like, dang. This is organized. Looks good. There's your shells. There's your decoys. Not a tiny little piece of raffia on the ground. It looks awesome. I want to be that guy. I have not lived up to my desires to be that guy. I can tell you that, man. Oh. Mold expression is always, man, it's like a waterfowl bomb went off in here. I get to the end of a hunt. I'm tired. I'm cold. I want to get inside. I, I get after the hunt, and I just start chucking stuff in there. When can I do a better job at keeping that organized? But there's still something wrong with my system of organization in there. So I want to completely reorganize it, and I want to come up with ways. Like if I know, and I tried to do this last year, but I suck at it. Like this goes here, the guns go there, the shells go there, the you know, and I've tried to do that system where it's just like easy, 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 hang your waders. And I've got a place to hang my waders, but I need to clean up and organize my shed and rethink about how it's structured so that I can keep it really nice for the entire season because I've been unable to do so. The boat needs a tune-up. We purchased, when I say we, fumbles, a new mud motor last season. This was season number two with a Go Devil 35 horsepower. And it's been great. It's been fantastic. Uh, but it does need a little bit of a tune-up. You can just tell it's having some problems starting. It just needs a little bit of a tune-up. So that needs to be taken care of. I need to... Um, there's a lot of rust going on that boat blind. I got. I need to take care of that. There's some things with the boat blind that need to be readjusted. We have not used it hardly at all other than teal season. There are some places in which I want to use it, but those places just haven't been available during the times that I need it. So we've been using it during teal season. It's been great during teal season. But then as the mallards show up, I just don't have the confidence I need in it. And I want... I, I don't have the confidence I need to shoot mileage in that. I, I just, it's just, if you look at a guy like Phil Conkey's boat blind and the way he does it, it just looks like a huge bush. And to me, ours just looks like a boat blind. And I don't have confidence in it. So I need to rethink that whole deal. I need to rethink it. 
Um, I want to find a new system for hunting ice and snow. So I've got white, I've got all white, but when we go in there and hunt the river, I know, I don't know if you saw my hunt this year where we had one just fantastic river hunt. I got permission myself to cross this area. Once I'm down on the river, man, it's a great place. And I think that you're going to be seeing at least one or two really cool river hunts a year. Normally it's like once every three years for me, but I think you're going to see a lot more in the in time to come. So I need a better system to hide guys because we've got, I like to have four guys in the river because you need a lot of gear in there and four guys helps you take it all. But hiding the guys when we're in there has not been great. It's not been great. So I've got my eye on um, final approach has a cover, a white cover for their A-frame. I've got their A-frame. I want to get the white cover because you don't have to br uh, brush it. It'll be light and easy to carry and you can get three guys in it. And I really think I'm hopeful, hopeful, hopeful that I can get that that will work on those ice holes. But if not, I also want a couple of layout blind snow covers because if the A-frame doesn't work, I'll try it. If that does not work, then I'll go to two layout blinds with snow covers. I know that will work. I know it'll work. And so I need to up my game in the white department. I need to up my game in the white department. And I need to rethink um, my strategy for late season. I got five dozen final approach live flocked head goose floaters because I wanted to, everyone kept saying, this is like this with everything. It's like people just overhype everything and it gets in your head and then you're disappointed. So it's like, oh man, big spreads of goose decoys late season. The mileage just float in. Well, I don't doubt that that's still better than a lot of mileage because people, the, the geese, uh, the mileage don't see, don't, don't get shot at over big goose spreads like they do mallard spreads. So I do fully believe that late season big goose spreads are better than big mallard spreads. So that's the direction I wanted to go. So I got these five dozen flocked head goose floaters and they have created some issues. Number one, when I want to use them on the lake, I didn't use five. I used four dozen. So I, well, here's what I wanted to load up. Three or four dozen of the goose floaters, three or four dozen of the mallard floaters, A-frame, dog blind, three guys, all your hunting equipment. That's a lot of stuff. And it's a lot of weight. And I got in a situation this year with my buddy Justin and his kid. I wouldn't say that it was dangerous, but we had about gusts at about 20. It was 15 mile an hour wind, which I will boat on a lake in 15 mile an hour wind. But with the gust of over 20 and with all that weight in the boat, I did not like how it felt. It felt scary. It felt scary. And so my whole plan of going all these goose decoys, I just don't know if it's going to work because of the weight. I mean, would it just be better to be like eight dozen goose de uh, uh, duck decoys? That's so much less weight. Those goose decoys are so much heavier. So I need to rethink all of that and decide, do I want to sell those? Do I want to just, because I, I tried it a couple of times 
And it just didn't. The Mallards were not floating in there like magic, like people kind of made it out to be. <laughs> just say that. But I, I, it's a very small sample size. And um, so I need to rethink that whole thing. The last thing on my season to-do list is, oh, I actually have a few more. I see a few notes I missed here. So this is not the last thing. Um, I need to add more Joseph Stern Raffia to re rebrush everything. I need to decide what shells I'm going to be using for next season. I just used the expert shells this year. So I need to think about those. And I want to, here's my idea. I'm, I'm big into sleds, pulling sleds. I don't like having things on my back. I've had two back surgeries, L4, L5, slipped herniated discs. I don't want a third. So I do not like decoy bags. I do not like carrying things on my back. So I use sleds. My kids, when they were, maybe some of you have tried this. I, I've never even tried this. This is a great product. Those of you that are innovators, here you go. I'm giving you one. My kids grew up riding skateboards, and they always had this um, wax that went on the bottom of a skateboard. I can't remember what it was called, and you could buy it, and you just wax the bottom of your skateboard. I assume it's for, like, rail slides and whatever. Why aren't we using that on duck sleds? Why, aren't I, why are we not waxing the bottom of our duck sleds? Call it sled slide, something like that. Because if you've ever pulled a heavy sled on frost... It's like you're not even having to pull it. And then on the way out, the frost is gone. And that friction, it's all about the friction. Is it just me? Maybe people do this. Do, do any of you use like uh, skateboard wax on your sleds? I keep saying I'm going to do it and I keep not doing it. I don't know why. Literally, you can buy a circle of this wax, skateboard wax for like probably five to ten bucks. That has to work. Why are we not doing it? I'm going to get me some of that. I am going to get some of that sled slide. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm calling it that because I'm like, maybe I can start selling it. I don't know. Sled slide sounds like an amazing, an amazing product. Anyway, I don't know if you guys use that or not. So that's my list of, of off-season goals. I'm sure that the list... Oh, I forgot one. I forgot one. And this one's big. This one's big. I have found a river, a low, uh, a shallow river. And there's a section of it, about a 10-mile section up and down this river that have little wetlands all upside it. I have marked on Onyx 16 different spots. I've looked carefully at them on Onyx, on Google Earth, because Google Earth imagery seems to be a little clearer. I'm not seeing blinds and stuff all around these things. They are situational marshes. So this year they were all dry. If I could get access to one of them, if I could lease one of them, get access to one of them, or two of them, several of them are actually uh, weas. I am focusing on this area. I am focusing on this area to find new ground. And if I could get my hands on a couple of these private spots to add into all the public hunting that I do, it would greatly, greatly improve my hunting situation. So I 
have got them all pinned on on x i've got the i've got two colors one is just a pin and one is like okay this is a focus spot this is a focus spot let's let's get serious about this so i really really would want to find some a few private places just to have in my arsenal as the non-resident hunter issue continues to be a problem in the state and continues to increase and there are times in which where it's stale i need a couple spots <coughs> so that was my last one i almost forgot that i can't believe i almost forgot that so i want to give you guys a little quick year in review since we're at the end as we've been talking about the theme of this whole podcast the end i do want to do a quick reflect on how my season went and soon on i'm going to implement this because this is massive to me not all hunts are the same not all limits are the same i want to implement on i keep calling it hunt stats but it's going to be the north american waterfowler app a rating where when you log a hunt over there you can put in your enjoyment level of the hunt will be from one to five how much did you enjoy this the experience of this hunt and then you'll put one for terrible five for all world right and i think that will be really really cool because you could get to the end of the season and you could say well my average enjoyment this year was 4.5 you know it would like average it like that and that goes into what I'm going to say is my numbers this year, and I am a numbers guy. I love keeping track of the numbers. They're not the most important thing, but I love it. And if you love it too, FreelanceHuntStats.com or HuntStats on iOS or Android, completely going to have an amazing facelift within a month or so. It's going to look unrecognizable. It's, it's going to look amazing. But if you like doing that, it's a place to do it. And we also have a leaderboard over there where you can compete with everyone on there and compete with your friends. And by next year, you're going to compete, be able to compete by flyway, by state, by one day, last three days, last seven days. It's going to be great. But my enjoyment of the hunt this year was down much greater than my actual numbers. My numbers were down a little bit. It was not a horrible year, but I'm going to look at the last five years and I'm going to look at the average of four years and then this year. So in the last five years of data, my previous four put together versus this one. I'm going to just do a little comparison of it. And you'll see that the numbers are down, but not horribly down. But what I feel and what I suspect is that the enjoyment of each hunt was horribly down. So if you shoot five mallard drakes all feet down, you're going to have a higher enjoyment level than five mallard drakes at 35, 40 yards. I would assume. I would. Most people would. Not everyone. And so... I suspect, I feel as though my enjoyment level was down much more so than my numbers. So on the previous four years combined, <coughs> excuse me, I as averaged 3.2 ducks a hunt, went on 135 hunts in those four years, harvested 437. So I averaged about, this is ducks and geese. In the last four years, I averaged 109 birds per year. A lot of that was because that that snow goose event, Golden and I went on last year. I don't know if you saw that, but we three shots each. We each we put down a bunch, and I was averaging about thirty-one mallard drakes per hunt, or per season, not per hunt, per season. So fifty-eight point eight percent shooting, 
which is only because I'm I'm uh, so careful about what I pull the trigger at. But uh, this season, so that was the last four seasons, kind of combined and averaged out. This season, I was at two point five birds per hunt, so I was down point seven birds per hunt. That's a huge number, really. I mean, that's a that's a significant number. My total harvest this year was eighty four, so I was down about on average twenty five. Now I still have. My snow goose season left, and I may go on a on a dark goose hunt. So I still could end up, you know, close to the hundred mark if things go well. So keep that in mind. But my average per hunt's two point five, which is well down to three point two. My shooting percentage was up at six or three point three. My mallards this year was twenty three, so I was down on average of eight mallards for the season. So in no way I don't were these really horrible numbers just was a little bit harder. But even when I got on the birds, the hunts just, I would go on a hunt where, you know, I'd shoot three or four, but you're just like, and eh, my enjoyment level was probably about a two just wasn't that satisfying of, of a hunt. And I had a lot of those where I was putting down three or four birds, but I'm like, eh, you know, that hunt just, you know, didn't really do it for me. I did have a few hunts, where they were, I'll always remember them. And it all kind of came late season. So I had the hunt with Golden Boy where it was negative 40 degree wind chill. We went down that small river, froze out on us. But I I shot I don't know, four or five birds that day. I think I shot five, four drakes and a, and a gadwall. And Golden shot three or four mallard drakes. I don't remember exactly. But it was a really, really eventful, fun day. I had the river hunt where we're hunting the ice hole. That was probably my favorite day of the year. We didn't shoot a limit. We ended up with like 13 mallards and a few geese. But it was such an epically fun day. The enjoyment level on that day, I'd have put it at a five, honestly. And that can, can you have a five out of five enjoyment level day without without killing a limit? Probably, I'd say yeah. I'd say yeah. That was that day. I'm like, if we had shot our limit that day, it would have made it more fun. But not substantially. Four guys, I don't know, 16, 17 birds. You know, I, I would say not a substantially greater amount of, of enjoyment if we had shot more birds. It would have been more fun. But anyway, that hunt was tops of my books. Then I had the Mallard Limit where I was in the layout boat by myself with Georgie. And they were just landing right in the hole. That was enjoyment level on that was really high as well. So anyway, those are my numbers there. Kind of look back on your, if you want to continue this conversation with us about all the topics I talked about today, I'm going to do a little write up on it when I post this episode over there on Patreon. So if you want to join at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and watch us live, help support what I'm doing, help support this move forward. I appreciate as always, you guys being here, listening to these podcasts, I hope that you're enjoying them. And remember, if you want to come on this podcast and tell the whole world and, and try to convince me of late season spinners, and you've got a really solid explanation as to how you came to that opinion, get hold of me and we will talk about that. Until next time, this is Elliot. You've listened to another episode of North American Life.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that, Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.